Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church, North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. This morning, do me a favor, look at your neighbor and say to them just one word, just, just say, buckle up. Uh, look, maybe that's two words, my bad, but it's a phrase, one phrase, one phrase. Look at your other neighbor and tell them, we're going to be okay. You might be wondering, why is Pastor Josh saying that? Well, today we got an we got a impactful topic that we are going to tackle. It's one of the things that I do enjoy teaching about here at this church because it really goes against the systems and the way of the world. Now, we've been in this series called A Better Way. And in this series, A Better Way, we've been posturing that the way of Jesus is better than the way of the world. And so we want to pattern our ways, we want to pattern our life after the ways of Jesus. So today we're taking it a step further. Go with me to the book of Luke, chapter 19. We're going to read the first 10 verses. If you did not read your Bible this week, we are going to catch you up on some Bible reading this morning, okay? But we've got 10 verses that we are going to read in Luke chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible, um, we're going to be getting the scriptures up on the screen as well. I'll read the scriptures, we'll seat you, and then we're going to dive into what God has for us. I'm going to insert some commentary as I read the scriptures because I think this scripture is funny. All right, here we go. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. All right, so that's the first couple of descriptors we know about Zacchaeus. He's a tax collector, and he's wealthy. Going on. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Can all the short people relate to that? Come on. My hand's going up first and foremost. I hate when I can't see over the crowd. You know who doesn't have that problem? Zach doesn't have that problem. <laughs> Neither does Lewis. But Zacchaeus, he, he could not see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and he climbed up a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. He's a problem solver, though. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's short, but he's determined. He's like, fine, I'll just go and climb a tree. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Imagine if Zacchaeus had not climbed up that tree. Jesus spotted him because he was up in the tree. Imagine had he not had a desire to want to see Jesus that day. Imagine if for a moment Zacchaeus was too proudful to climb a tree. He would have missed his appointment with Jesus. That's not my point today, but that's a little sub point right there for some of you right there. Uh, Jesus is trying to talk to you, but sometimes we let things get in the way. And in his situation, he decided, I'm going to climb up this tree. And Jesus said, I'm going to stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now, there's no pause in the text, but most commentaries that you read will let you know that there's now a pause in the text. There's a passing of time. All the people saw this and they began to mutter, Jesus has gone to be the guest of a sinner. 
Now, when Jesus gets to Zacchaeus' house, this is where the story picks up. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I have given half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, listen to what Jesus says at the response of Zacchaeus. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Everybody say salvation. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. For the next few moments, I want to talk to you on this thought, the way of generosity. The way of generosity. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you, Lord, for all that you are doing here in this house. Lord, I'm so grateful for every person that has set aside time on this first day of the week to come and to worship you, to be in community with their church. And God, now as we lean into your word, I pray that you speak to us. Would you open every heart? Would you open every mind that we might receive your word? Father, as I speak to this audience, would you speak to every individual that is here? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Clap your hands, everybody, and let's talk about the way of generosity. You may be seated I've just talked to you about the story of Zacchaeus, and it really is an impactful story about a young man and his stuff, about this person who God challenged him in the area of his finances. I want to now take you to another story. In the interest of time, I'm not going to read the passage of Scripture. I'm just going to tell you the story of the rich young ruler. Raise your hands if you've heard of the story of the rich young ruler. No shame if you don't know it. I'm going to walk everyone through it right now. I just want to know what I'm dealing with. Okay, so let's talk about the rich young ruler. The Bible says that one morning, Jesus was leaving Galilee where he was teaching, and he was on his way to Judea. Let me contextualize this for you. Leaving Galilee is leaving a city that is multi-ethnic. It is diverse. It is a city that is a melting pot of people from different ethnicities, different cultures, different religious beliefs, different philosophies, and different backgrounds. That might seem very fun for those of you that like that sort of environment, but it was a particular problem for those who were Jewish. You see, Galilee was located in the north, and what happened up in the northern part of Palestine was that those who were followers of Jehovah began to lose their way. They lost their way because in that multi-ethnic environment that they were in, they began to assimilate with the culture around them. So rather than sticking to the pure belief of, of following Jehovah God and, and following their Jewish belief system, they began to fuse in their belief system with some of the other belief systems. We read historically, if you go back, they would, even in the temples that were dedicated to Jehovah, would just bring some of the other gods and other statues and idols and place them in to the temples and worship them as well. It was a hot mess, Lighthouse. Let me just tell you, it was, it was a hot mess. And it was much different than Judea. Can you all say Judea? So on this particular morning, Jesus is leaving Galilee, and he's on his way to Judea, where people in Judea are more devout. 
They don't intermarry with people who are not of their background. Therefore, they don't have to deal with mixed religions in their home. They were pure-blooded Jews, or as the young people say, they were the real ones, okay? They were the real ones. They, they followed the law to the T. So when Jesus leaves Galilee, understand he's not just leaving one location and going to another location. He is leaving one cultural climate and stepping into a different cultural climate. And that's important because when he's on his way to Judea, the rich young ruler arrives. Enter stage right, out comes the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler is, well, he's rich, as the Bible says. And because he is rich and because he has resources, he is esteemed by his community. Now, he does something completely out of character. The Bible records that when Jesus comes to Judea, the rich young ruler breaks with, with who he is and, and what is normal for a person of that stature, and he runs towards Jesus. Kind of similar to how Zacchaeus climbed up a tree, this rich young ruler is now running to Jesus. It's odd because typically the rich don't run after people people run after the rich and so he's breaking because he has a great need to get to Jesus now I want you to picture for a second that this rich young ruler he's got nice opulent robes on I mean he's wealthy so he's dressed in the latest Gucci outerwear okay and he's wearing the latest off-white kicks and he runs the, the kids know what I'm talking about the parents are like is that a color it is, but it isn't. And so he, he runs to where Jesus is, and he's dressed really nice, and it doesn't stop him from throwing himself at the feet of Jesus. You see, he's hungry. He's desperate. He, he doesn't care how nice his clothes are. He doesn't care how nice his sandals are. He's trying to get to Jesus. And when he gets to the feet of Jesus, the Bible says that he looks up at Jesus. He's looking past his beard and into his brown eyes, and he says, good teacher, Tell me what I must do in order to be saved. And Jesus gives him a textbook response. He says, well, you need to love the Lord. And I'm paraphrasing. You need to love the Lord and you need to love your neighbors. And he goes, listen, I've done all of that, Jesus. I have followed every single law. And you might be thinking, okay, all 10. No, 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 back up a second. There are over 600 laws in the Jewish religious system. So he was saying, I have done everything right. So I'm not just rich, but I'm religious. I got a lot going on. And so then Jesus hits him with this. He says, okay, well, if you want to follow me, listen now, Jesus is giving him an invitation to come and follow him. He's saying, I know you want to be saved, but I'm not only willing to save you, but I'm letting you come and be numbered amongst my 12. Do you want the same type of notoriety as Matthew? Do you want the same type of notoriety as Mark and John? I mean, these guys are popular. Do you want to come and hang with Zebedee and us? And he says, if you do this, you can come and follow me. He's like, hit me with it. What do I need to do? Jesus says, I want you to sell everything you have. I want you to give it away to the poor and come and follow me. I want you to come and lift, uh, live a life of, of, of changing not just the now, but changing the eternal. And at that moment, the rich young ruler's heart broke. Because in that moment where the story of Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler were in parallel, 
they've now gone in different directions. Zacchaeus, without Jesus even having told him, I want you to sell your stuff, he sold all of his stuff. And this rich young man, though he was willing to do anything he could to receive salvation, Jesus said, sell all of your possessions, and then I'll let you come and follow me. I want to contrast these two people because they both had the same desire. They wanted to see Jesus. They wanted to have a moment with him, and yet their lives go in two totally different directions. So who is Zacchaeus? As I said just a minute ago, Zacchaeus is a tax collector. Do you want to know how much favor that won you with your peers? None. They hated tax collectors back then. The reason why is these were Jewish people who not only taxed their own, but they would skim off the top in order to line their own pockets. And Zacchaeus must have done this a lot because the Bible says that he was wealthy. And so they hated him. Every time Zacchaeus would come into the supermarket, they'd be sneering at him. Be like, here comes a traitor. Here comes a turncoat. Here comes a guy that robs from us. Whereas the rich young ruler, every time he would walk in, I mean, the girls would fawn over him. People were like, that dude is cool. I like that guy. One was despised and one was revered. That's the difference between the two. And if you look at what happened between the two, you see two different postures of the heart you see one willing to just get rid of everything and you saw one who said you can have everything but you can't have my money and the reason I want to talk about the way of generosity the reason I start here is simply this Zacchaeus received what the rich young ruler was looking for salvation can you all say salvation? salvation and I really believe today as we dive into this conversation of generosity you could take a posture of one of these two people we either walk out of here with a posture like Zacchaeus or we walk out of here with the posture more like the rich young ruler. I'm a good person. I do all the right things, but don't you mess with my money. And so we have to ask ourselves, which direction do we want to go in? Now, typically when we talk about money, people start in the church start getting fidgety like, oh, Lord, I picked a bad Sunday to invite a friend. <laughs> but can I tell you just how much this is all throughout the Bible? Let's start with this. There are 40 different parables that Jesus himself spoke in the Bible. 11 of the 40 parables that Jesus taught involved money. If you're a math guy, you know that that's just a little over 25%. A little over one-fourth of what Jesus talked about was money. He actually talked about money just as much as he talked about sin, salvation, just as much as he talked about heaven as he talked about hell. He talked about money a whole lot. And as for the larger Bible, there are 2,350 verses in the Bible about money. 2,350 verses about money. Why is that? Let me just go and get you right to the punchline, okay? The punchline is simply this. Our attitude about money is really a reflection of our heart. And so today, though I'm going to talk about money, what I'm really dealing with is your heart. And so today, you might not like what I have to say about money, and to which I would say what I'm really pressing you on is the condition of your heart. But I want to help you. I'm not here to step on your toes. What I'm trying to do is help you make some shifts because if you follow the way of the world, you're going to have an unhealthy relationship with money. If you follow the way of Jesus, you're going to have a much healthier relationship with money. How can I make that statement? Well, it's very easy. The United States of America is one of the richest nations in the world, if not the richest, and yet we're also the most in debt. How can we be the richest and not simultaneously be in debt? It's not that you have a money problem. You have a spend problem. 
And a lot of people are like, well, if I just made more money, I'd be better off. No, baby, you'd spend more money. If the more you make, the more you're going to spend. And so we have to talk about these things because scripturally what we learn is that money is just an outflow of our heart. So what I want to do is try to get you to see some things differently and then send you out of here with a challenge, okay? Does that sound good, everybody? And I promise I'm going to keep it light. I'm going to keep it humorous as much as I can. But I, I truly want you to see these things in light of the word of God. So there are two shifts that you have to make when it comes to your money. Y'all ready for the first shift? Here it is. If you're taking notes, write this down. The first shift that you have to make is that everything belongs to God. Let's start right there. Because if you don't get that, you don't get to go on to number two. But you have to make the shift that everything belongs to God. Psalm says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. We believe that everything in this world belongs to him, including the money that you, I earned this back. I worked so hard. This money belongs to me. And the scripture says it all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. And as long as you, and if you don't get past this first principle, you're going to have a hard time getting to the next principle. And, and what I'm really up against right now is a scarcity mindset. Let me, let me just deposit this here. A scarcity mindset exists in rich people and people who are not rich as like. A scarcity mindset is not based on your bank account. It's based on your heart. Now, I know a lot of people might have grown up without much, and so as a result, they have trauma, and so they have a scarcity mindset. So it's like, I didn't grow up with much, so I'm going to hoard everything that I have. And, and that's some deep-rooted stuff that needs to be worked through. But make no mistake, there are people who are very wealthy that also have a scarcity mindset. They have a scarcity mindset. So we're not talking about the amount of money. What we're talking about is, again, the condition of your heart. But when you get to this point where you say the earth is the Lord and everything that dwells that in, what we are first and foremost, the declaration that we are making is, is everything I have belongs to God. And that's a great place to live from, that everything that I have belongs to God. And if you can make this shift, you're going to have, you're going to start having a different relationship with your money because it's not my money, it's his money. And if I ever need, feel like I need more money, I go to you know what I'm saying? Because it's his. It all belongs to him. So everything belongs to God. So then what is my role in it? Here's your role. Your responsibility is to steward what belongs to God. Can you all say steward? steward. Another word for that is manage. Manage. So what God does is he entrusts with us resources, and he then says, I want you to steward them. I want you to manage them well, there's a scripture that I want to read from Luke chapter 16, verse 10. It says this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be, tr uh, uh, can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. This is why I said just a minute ago, if you can't faithfully manage a little, don't think it's going to get better when you have more of it. It's not an income problem. It's a spend problem. Better said, it's a stewardship problem. You see, when we begin to look at everything that I have is what God has given me, he then looks to me and says, but I trust you to manage what I've given you. And I want you to steward what I have given you. Stewardship is that biblical word where it's a little different than manage because I think it's the spirit that is breathed into how we manage it. 
And so the stewardship of finances is, is really the second thing that we are led to. Number one, it all belongs to God. Number two, it's my responsibility to steward it, meaning I don't get to just spend any old reckless and irresponsible way. Amen? This is why marriage is so good for single men. The marriage is really good for a lot of it. It's so funny. My wife and I said, this will meet somebody who's just like celebrating their singlehood. And I'm like, yeah, it's about time for them to get married. <laughs> Why is that? Because there are some people that need to be taught selflessness. And there's nothing like a family to help teach you selflessness. When, when you can't just be reckless with your money because you've got, you've got a wife, you've got a spouse, and you've got some children that are dependent on you making wise decisions with your finances. Only problem is I've seen people bring unhealthy habits with regard to their money into their marriage. And y'all know what the number one reason for divorce is, right? What is it? Money. It's money. The fight's over money. So we, we've got to get this right. This is why I don't mind talking about generosity to a room full of young people because I'm trying to set you up for a very successful life now, marriage later. Let's get this thing figured out right now. You get what I'm saying? Let's get this thing figured out right now because I don't want to see you later in life have a problem that could have been fixed when you had a healthy relationship with money right from the very start. And so it all belongs to God, and he trusts me to steward it. Think about that for a second. He trusts me to manage what he's given me. He said, I trust you. The question back to God, if you ever felt like I don't do a good job with what I have, is ask yourself, have I been found trustworthy? You know what I'm saying? Have I been trustworthy? Have I been trustworthy with what he's first given me? Because when you have found, when, when he has found you to be trustworthy, guess what he does? He rewards you with more, right? It's kind of like at work. When, what's your reward for doing a good job at work? More work, right? That's what happens. More, yeah. Before I worked here, before I worked for the church, I worked for, um, I worked in the defense contracting business, so, so I, I want you to understand that I've got some experience in this. My master's is in business first. I worked in business before I worked in the church, and I'll never forget. I'd be killing, I'd be crushing it. My boss is like, great job. Here's some more work for you. I'm like, well, what about Clark? He's doing nothing. He's like, I can't trust him. You know, I just can't trust him. And I think in the same way it is with our finances, we're shaking our fist at God, and he's just waiting for us to steward well what he's already given us. He's waiting for us to steward well what he's already given to you. But listen to me, Lighthouse, if you can conquer these first two things, it all belongs to God and I am a manager of it, then you get to step into what I call the life of generosity. Everybody say life. life. I have to use that word because you can walk out of here thinking, oh man, there was a whole lot of legalism and law about money. No, no, you don't understand. When you step into this level of generosity, you are now living according to life and not according to law. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have an abundant life. The only problem is there's a lot of people that have life but never experience an abundant life. So how many of you want to get into an abundant life? How many of you want to live a life of generosity? All right, well, let me tell you how we're going to get there. Number one, Okay, it all belongs to God. Number two, we are stewards of it. Here we go. Number three, we bring the first back to God. We bring the first back to God. And I say back because you ain't making a payment to God. And I know it's language, I got to pay the tithe. You're not paying anything. It all belongs to him. What you're doing is you're bringing it back. So some of you, when you have an unhealthy relationship with your money, I ain't making a payment to the church. You're not making it a payment. You are giving back to God the first of what he has already given to you. 
Let me give you a scripture for this. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. There's a principle that says when we give God our first, he then blesses everything else. And some of you refuse, God to, you refuse to give God your first and you're wondering why nothing else is blessed in your life. But there's a blessing that God puts over your resources when you give the first back to him. You are honoring. You're not making a payment. You are worshiping him with the first of all of the income that God has given you. Okay, I'm going to get super nerdy. You guys want, uh, Pastor John, I'm going to get super nerdy with this right now, okay? You guys know I can nerd out about a few things. Number one, I'm a Bible nerd. I'm a self-professed Bible nerd. I love to nerd out over the Bible. Well, here's another thing that I nerd out about. I love Excel, Microsoft Excel. I know, nerd alert, nerd alert. You guys are like, what? He really likes that software? Yes, and I'm not talking about Google Sheets. That's a bad knockoff. I'm talking about Microsoft, the OG Microsoft Excel. I told you guys, I have a master's in business. I'm a, I'm a business guy, all right? Um, and so I, I love Microsoft Excel, and that is how I still do my finances. I know people are like, you know they have an app for that. I don't care. I'm a nerd. You ain't going to talk me off of this. I like my spreadsheet because I can create pivot tables. I can create Gantt charts. There's a lot of stuff that I can do with Microsoft Excel. Now I've fully nerded out on that, okay? Now here's where I'm going with all of that. My budget, our budget, lives on a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet, and our tithe does not get listed as a payment. Where we list all of our stuff, my tithe is not listed with the utility bill. It's not listed with, I'm too cheap for Netflix. It's not listed with, uh, what do we have? Disney Plus. My kids were, just yesterday, my Jackson was like, why don't we have Netflix? And I'm like, because I'm cheap. <laughs> I'm paying for it, okay? I'm like, but if you can find someone to lend me their login, I'm here for it. I'm kidding. I'm, <laughs> I'm kidding. I am kidding. But all the utility, it's not there. Why? Because the first that I give back to God is my worship. And that doesn't belong as a, that's not a payment. It's not a utility. It's my worship unto God. And when you step into a lifestyle of generosity, when you bring your first back to God, you see that as your worship. You see that as honoring God. You see that as giving him my priority. I don't give God my leftovers. I bring him my first. And what happens is sometimes like, well, if I have a little money left over, then I'll give to God. What you have told him is if I have any leftovers, then I will bless you with that. But when you make God your priority, you say, I don't give you what's left over. I give you what's first. And if you want, God, if you want a blessing over your resources, give to God your first. Now, in the Old Testament, they would talk about a tithe. The first 10%, that is a great, great baseline. For some of you, like, what does it say in the New Testament? What did he tell the rich young ruler? Everything. So what do you want, Old Testament or New Testament? <laughs> you decide. Choose carefully. No, but, but I believe that there's this principle all throughout the scriptures of giving God the first, and a great baseline is 10%. And, and if, if you can't get there, then get there. If you need financial help getting there, guess what? We will help you get there. We have an incredible connect group called Financial Peace University. And last year, we helped, over, we, we helped people at Lighthouse Church collectively pay off over $90,000 in debt. That's worth celebrating. <laughs> I think it's amazing that, that a group of people said, hey, we really want to step into this life of generosity. And, and they met with people. And at the end of 
uh, is it 10 weeks? I think it's like 10 weeks. Um, at the very end of it, collectively, that group had paid off over $90,000 in debt. So we want to get practical and help you with tools. We want to do all of that, but it starts right here. You, you hear me, Lighthouse Church? It starts right here. You don't need a money makeover. You need a heart makeover, and you're going to see it in your money. You guys tracking me so far? Generosity, again, generosity is not about your money. It's about your heart. If you make it about your money, then we already know you have a heart problem. You've just let me know you do. If you make it about your money, you've just revealed to me that you have a heart problem. But can I tell you that he's here to deal with that? That's why we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to come in and grab a hold of our hearts and the changes from the inside out. He wants this for you. He doesn't want you to look at this as law, but he wants you to see it as life. Everybody say life. And then here's the second thing, and I'm coming to a close. After I bring God my first, then I live an open-handed life. I live an open-handed life. What does it mean to live an open-handed life? First, let me read this proverb to you. I love it. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Would you do me a favor? Hold your hands out like this, open-handed. This is the simplest way that I can explain it to you all. God calls us to live an open-handed life. What that means is what he has given us we will give to others as well. We are going to be generous with what he has given us. So when you live open-handed, God puts something in your hands, and if someone is in need, you can bless them because your hands are open. Now do this. Some of us, when God gives, we take it and we do this. We close our hands, and somebody needs help, and we, we, we turn our backs to those who are in need. We live close-fisted. Do you want to know what the consequence of this is? You are no longer in a position to continue to receive from him because you've closed your hands. Now he can't bless you because you're living closed-handed. And I believe that the generous life that he leads us into is a life where we live open-handed. That, that, that I first honor God, and listen, I'm talking about a better way. We first honor God, but then how else do we live a generous life to be a blessing to those around us? I love the generosity liturgy that we read just a minute ago where we said that it would be said that there is no more needy person among us. Can we get there, Lighthouse Church? I mean, do, do you think we can get to this place where we live in such a way where we say, God, it all belongs to you. I know you've trusted me to manage it. So I'm going to worship you with, with what is first and then I'm going to be generous with what's left. This is the life, guys. This is the life. I've told you this story before, but it's worth repeating. My wife's uncle tragically passed away in 2020 due to COVID. He was and is the most generous person that I have ever met in my life. At his funeral, the stories of his generosity just kept unfolding. People, people were telling his family, your dad did this for me. His his kids had no idea just how generous their father was. Their, their father not only, not, not only was he such a great provider for his family, but you'd hear stories of he paid for me to take my driver's test. He helped me with a bill that I couldn't pay. He helped me purchase my first car. He did this, and the stories just went on and on and on and on. It was truly one of the most beautiful funerals that I've ever been a part of, because how many funerals do you get up to, and all they talk about is the generosity of that person? 
I mean, we, we were filling the program with the generosity of this person. And, and he left such an incredible inheritance to his children. It's their story to tell, so I won't get into it. But let's just say he set up. He, he passed away at 52, 54, something like that. He, he, was, he, he was in his early 50s, mid-50s latest. And yet, he left an inheritance to them where when they didn't even understand the full extent of it. But when, when it was all said and done, just talking to the family, they're like, we're set. We're just set. He's taking care of everything. Like, we may not even have to work if we don't. We will, but we, like, we're set the way he's left us. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. I want for you, Lighthouse Church, to live a generous life. Not only did he leave his family well taken care of, but the stories of his generosity, of how he blessed people, of how he was there for his family, of how he blessed friends, it truly moved us. As a matter of fact, when the services were over, what I told my wife was, I want to be a generous person. I want to be a generous person like your uncle. Like that is hashtag goals. I don't know if they still say that, but it's like, that's, that's what I want. I want to be the type of person that with the resources God has given me, I'm able to bless other people. I want to be the type of person that I can bless those with what God has given me. That I don't live like this, but that I live like this. And Jesus said, this is the life I'm inviting you into. But you have to give up this for this. Let me come to the end of it all. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. We know his name. Zacchaeus, the short little tax collector that ran up on a tree to have a moment with Jesus. And Jesus said to him, salvation has come. Listen, watch what happens here. Zacchaeus said, I've sold everything and I've, I've given away my possessions. And anyone that I've wronged, I've made it right. And what does Jesus say in the very next sentence? Salvation has come. Wait a second. We're talking about money here. How, how could Jesus all of a sudden give him salvation when he's talking about stuff? The larger principle. He was able to do all of that because Jesus already had his heart. So when Jesus said you're saved, it wasn't because of his, it wasn't because of the money. It was because of his heart. And he says, you're saved. Salvation has come to your house, Zacchaeus. Whereas the rich young ruler, Jesus said, Come and follow me. Come and be amongst my 12. You could be just like Matthew. We'll make you, you can be just as popular as John. You can be like Zebedee. You, you can be like James. Come and follow me. It's only one thing I ask. You got to leave all that stuff behind. And the rich young ruler, we don't even know his name. Because he chose the temporary pleasures of this world over the eternal impact that Jesus was trying to lead him into. So my question to you is, what type of life do you want to live? What do you want your legacy to be? That you won here or that you won forever? It's almost as if Jesus is playing by a different set of rules, isn't it? Like he's, he's so advanced. He's, he's so ahead of everyone else. And that's the life that I believe that he's called us into. I want to pray for you. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads before I pray for you? If there's anyone here that with your eyes closed and head bowed, everybody here, if there's anyone here that wants to begin to make a shift in that type of living, and I know it might take months, it might take years, it's, it's not going to happen overnight, but if you want to see a shift 
from self-centeredness to selflessness and you want to see a shift in this area of generosity, would you put that hand up real quick so I can pray for you? Just put it up saying, I need a shift here. I need a shift. All right, put that down. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we pray for that. If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.